0: Welcome to the Military Birth Talk Podcast, presented by the Military Birth Resource Network and Postpartum Coalition. I'm Annie Denzel, and among other things, I'm also a mom and a military spouse. Giving birth when you're in the military community comes with its own unique set of opportunities and challenges. Whether you're a service member or a military spouse, chances are you'll be faced with choices, situations, or unique circumstances that are different than those faced by our civilian counterparts. And that's where we come in. This podcast is a platform to share pregnancy, birth, and postpartum stories so that military families can enter this transformative phase of life armed with a little more knowledge, a sense of community, and a wealth of resources designed with our specific needs in mind. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Military Birth Talk. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from Air Force spouse Patience, who shares her two off-base birth stories— One birth took place at a duty station with lots of close friends and neighbors, and the other took place during COVID at a new duty station and with an unexpected deployment three months postpartum. So she discusses how that impacted her postpartum experience. Patience is a licensed mental health counselor with a specialty in perinatal mental health, and she also works with Postpartum Support International, both with military families specifically and through the Perinatal Mental Health Alliance for People of Color. Here's my conversation with patients. Hey Patience, thank you so much for joining me on Military Birth Talk today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Good. I'm so glad. So we'll start off today's episode um, by having you share your birth stories. But before we dive into that, can you take a few moments to share a little bit about yourself with our listeners?
1: Yes. My name is Patience Riley. I have been a part of a military family for as long as I can remember. My parents met while they were both in the Navy. Um, So I am a Navy kid and I am now an Air Force spouse. So I kind of switched sides on them, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but been a part for literally my entire life. Um, aside from that, I am a licensed professional counselor. I am certified in perinatal mental health as well. Um, I do have a private practice and a blog and brand called Whoa Mama, where I talk about simple but effective mental health tips just for everyday life. Aside from that, I am also the communications manager with the Perinatal Mental Health Alliance for People of Color, which is a program within Postpartum Support International, which others might know as PSI. And along with working with the organization, I also started out as a volunteer and still volunteer um, with the organization as well as a support group leader. I did start out as one of the military mom support group leaders ended up actually going on um, maternity leave, having my second baby, and came back leading our mindfulness groups. And then I sub our military moms from time to time.
0: Awesome. Well, I love PSI. I used some of their support groups after I had my first so personal experience here, I can vouch for how how amazing that organization is. So Really happy to have you here. And thanks for sharing all of that background. So I'm excited to hear more from you. And um, for the first part of our interview, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your own birth experiences as a military spouse. Um, and then for the second part of our conversation, we'll do a little bit more of a QA and I'll have some follow up questions. So I'd love to just start off by hearing about where you were stationed when you first became pregnant and what kind of prenatal and birth care you were planning for.
1: So I'll start in order. I have two little ones. I have Remy, who is my oldest. He's now four. And then I have Reed, um, who is my second, and he is two years old. So while I was pregnant with Remy, we were stationed at Offutt Air Force Base in Bellevue, Nebraska. I ended up finding out that I was pregnant four days before my husband deployed. We knew about the deployment. We did not know about the pregnancy. So that was a curveball in our plans. We weren't necessarily trying, but we weren't also preventing. So um, we were geared up, ready to go, knew that he was going to be leaving for about five months. And we were like, hey, we're going to go on our last date to a really nice restaurant that we enjoy. And like the night before, I just wasn't feeling well and something just said, take, take a test, just take a test. And then four tests later, they all said positive and there you have it. So that whole like first going into second trimester, he was gone. So he was deployed during that time. I was actually working as a military family life counselor on our installation and shared with one of my colleagues and our military family and community that was there. Uh, I did have some friends that were like, hey, I can go to your appointment with you if you need me to and things of that nature. Um, I kind of went in between like work and sessions and things of that nature. So I did do a lot of those appointments alone, which there were a lot of other spouses that were doing that alone as well. Uh, So that was one thing that I noticed was really a big difference from when I talked to my friends that are on like the civilian side. The military side, there were several of us. So we had to go to like a new parent orientation before I could even get my first doctor's appointment. There were like certain steps that we had to do um, just even to get that first doctor's visit. So all of my primary care and those things were done on base. However, I did deliver at a local hospital just because we didn't have a military hospital associated. It was just an outpatient clinic. The hospital that I delivered at was probably two minutes driving from my house. So I lived right behind the hospital. So I ended up going to birthing classes that were offered by the resources so our WIC office had a breastfeeding class i went to the bundles for babies i went to all of the classes that were there and available to us uh i ended up getting connected with a nurse through family advocacy who came beforehand and also saw me afterwards but my husband didn't get home and make it to an appointment until he got back from the deployment and he made it for the really big one, like the gender reveal. So we decided to find out the gender ahead of time. And so that was his first appointment that he made it home to just to make sure that, you know, all of the limbs and everything, just kind of checking that out. And then we found out the gender. So it was nice to have him there for that appointment, especially with it being his first one. And then we were able to surprise our family back home. We sent both sides like cupcakes that ended up having blue cupcakes so that they could have their own special like gender reveal as well with us. So as we kind of went on and throughout my pregnancy, I didn't really have complications other than my skin was terrible. My hair was terrible. I did not have the glow um <laughs> that oftentimes was talked about uh, with it. But I did experience some pretty bad round ligament pain Mm. getting towards the end of my pregnancy. So that was interesting. And I just was not dilated. I was not a face. The baby just was not ready to show up, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting to about maybe 41 weeks and three days And that's when my doctor was like, hey, let's try. Let's talk about induction and things of that nature. So it was very uneventful heading into the hospital. My husband and I, I was like, let's eat a really good meal before we go in. Just because I don't know what it's going to look like once we get in there. So we had a really nice meal. Walked into the hospital, just. Like it was a regular day with our bags packed, got checked in, and I still wasn't dilated, still wasn't a face, mm. like nothing <laughs> was going on. So I ended up getting cytotech. and I ended up having to get cytotech twice. It's kind of inserted, a pill that's inserted and put up by your cervix, and I had to lay flat on my back, which mm. is really uncomfortable, especially when you're like, Nine months (laughs) laying flat on your back, you feel like you cannot breathe. Um, So I had to lay there and do that for 30 minutes on two separate occasions. And finally, the second time, there started to be some kind of movement. I started to dilate a little bit. However, I ended up having side effects from the side attack as Mm. well. So I ended up having the nausea and the diarrhea. with it and so unfortunately with it me having it twice it's like as soon as that 30 minutes was up I was like as quickly as I possibly could try to roll out of the bed trying to run to the bathroom yeah to throw up it started working it started kicking in um also, shout out to my nursing team. They were phenomenal. I had a spouse as well who was one of my nurses. And then we had another nurse whose son was enlisted as well. So, we kind of had that connection, even though we were at like a civilian hospital as well. Did they
0: have a lot of experience with military clients since the treatment facility on base didn't have delivering capabilities? Yes, yes,
1: they did. So that was really nice. Um, So the hospital was, like I said, like two minutes driving. So they received everyone um, for the most part, Unless there was like a high risk pregnancy or things of that nature, there was a different hospital. Okay. So very, very familiar. So the side attack got things going and then I started to have they called them earthquake contractions. Oh boy. <laughs>
0: That sounds terrible.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, The time of my contractions and the severity level were so high and for so long um, that it lasted longer than my recovery time. And through this, I ended up getting to the point where I was so nauseous and throwing up that I had thrown everything up at this point. And so I'm try heaving. And they're just trying to get me to the point where I'm dilated enough. The question was, hey, are you interested in an epidural? I was. However, I just was like stuck at two centimeters, just stuck, just wasn't going anywhere. Um, hours and hours had gone by. We were trying to do the walking. However, with being nauseous, that made it difficult, you know? We ended up, my nurse, she kind of stepped in and she was like, I need her to have enough energy to deliver this baby. Um, so she was like, I understand that you're only like two centimeters. However, I just, I need somebody to come in here and we're just going to have you go on ahead and get an epidural. Um, cause she was like, at this point, I don't know if you're going to have the strength and the energy left in your body to really deliver this baby. Uh, When we came into the hospital, it was about 9 p.m. And by the time we reached that point, it was the morning. So Mm -hmm. once I got the epidural, I actually started progressing, which is all of the information that I had received beforehand was typically saying epidurals would slow it down. In my case, it sped things up. So I started to progress. I was able to get some rest. I remember my husband saying, you fell asleep for a really long time. (laughs) That's good. Your body needed it. Yeah. So my body needed, you know, the rest. So I really appreciate my nurse for kind of making that call. Um, And she spent a lot of time in the room with us because we were, it was only two of us. Two of us that were actually uh, delivering. So um, finally, you know, started to progress. I got to about nine centimeters uh, dilated. And then I just stopped, Mm -hmm. just stopped again. So it just was more of that waiting game, waiting game, waiting game, waiting game. And finally, it was time. After three hours of pushing on top of waiting to be able to push. I finally got him out. I do have to say uh, my husband is the biggest cheerleader while you are trying to push a baby out. (laughs) He was front and center. They gave him his job. They were like, hold her leg, count to 10, tell her, get ready to push, do all of that. He He was right there front and center in the action. You would have thought he was one of the doctors. (laughs) Um, While I was pushing, one thing that was really helpful is, yes, I had an epidural, which was helpful. The other helpful thing about the epidural was that it didn't fully take. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of my legs was not numb. I could move one of my legs. But it was really helpful because it allowed me to change positions. Right a little bit easier. And uh, I think my team felt a little bit more comfortable when I said, hey, I would like to change positions or I feel like I need to change positions in order to get the baby out just because I was pushing for so long and I wasn't really getting that far. um, It was easier for me and them to maneuver me around so that I could get into different positions to help get the baby out. Right. And once I started to kind of change positions, um, that's when we started to nos- notice some progress with getting him out. So that was really, really helpful. So of course my husband was there front and center, like, okay, where do I need to grab you? Where do I need to change your around? Uh, so it was about like a 26 hour experience. So extremely long. Extremely exhausting, um, tiring, but we finally got him out. And then the first thing he did was poop on me.
0: <laughs> Welcome to motherhood.
1: Yeah, huh? First <laughs> thing he did was poop on me. So I just remember looking over at my husband and saying, Well, if I got pooped on first. So that's how Remy got kind of brought into the world. The day that we got home, we ended up having, we ended up getting snowed in. It snowed so bad the day that we were released from the hospital. So I was like, this is why you were wanting to stay inside. You didn't want to be dealing with this much snow.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you guys Um, got home before you got stuck at the hospital.
1: Yeah. So that was part of the reason why they were like, hey, let's go on ahead and get them out of here. Um, but we were happy that we were able to get home before we got snowed into the yeah. hospital. Yeah. So,
0: and what about your recovery and your postpartum? How how did that go for you?
1: Yeah. yeah. So my recovery, um, with the first one, my recovery definitely took longer physically. I ended up having stitches. And so just that recovery took a little bit longer I just was moving a lot slower around. I didn't have any major complications as far as recovering physically, um, nursing and breastfeeding. I breastfed Remy until he was two. He was like a eat every 50 minutes type of kid. So I did not sleep well with him until about 18 months. Hmm. I do also have to say with Remy, Remy went through a lot of transition and changes as a little baby. My husband ended up going from enlisted to officer. So he ended up going to officer training school when Remy was six months old. And when he went to officer training school, we ended up PCSing, getting those orders And in the meantime, um, Remy and I went and stayed with my folks. When we found out that he was going to officer training school, I didn't end up returning to my job. Um, I was supposed to go back at four months, but then we knew we were leaving. Right. And so it didn't really make sense for me to work for two months and then leave. Right. So I had a six month old, so a six months postpartum. Then I had to deal with all of the lovely things of moving without him being there. So, you know, having to go to legal and get all of that paperwork and all of those things in order and having to actually deal with the movers for the first time while you're holding a little person and trying to entertain them and make sure that they're okay. The lovely thing was that we did have a lot of support. We had our community that was still there because we had been there for about going on four years. Mm -hmm. So we had developed that support network, which was really huge and really, really important and helpful for us during that time. And then my mom ended up coming up so that I didn't have to drive down to her from Nebraska to Alabama by myself with a six month old. So that was extremely helpful. I had someone to travel with me. And then Remy and I ended up staying with her and my dad until my husband graduated from officer training school. And then we ended up going to Florida where he did his training. And we were there for about eight months. And when we were in Florida, that was when the pandemic hit. So that in itself had a lot of changes. So dealing with kind of developing and getting a little bit of a community to all of a sudden, hey, you can't see anyone. Right. That ended up happening. And then we ended up PCSing and coming to Georgia, where we're actually located now. Uh, and it was still, hey, you can't see anyone. And so then now it's the middle of the pandemic, you've PCS to a new duty
0: station. What was the experience of being pregnant and preparing for the birth of
1: your second? That was... It was an interesting experience just because I saw some things that mirrored each other. So my husband couldn't come with me to my doctor's appointments and things of that nature. Not because he wasn't present and he wasn't around, but because he wasn't allowed. Also, even though, you know, we had a clinic on base and I did have a doctor because of COVID, My doctor wasn't seeing anybody. So I had to then like go through all the TRICARE things and (laughs) get approvals to then see someone off of base to provide my care. Uh, Getting established and set up just with any kind of care was horrific. It took so long.
0: Was the clinic on base just referring everybody off base? They just weren't taking patients? Yeah. As far as spouses. Oh my gosh. So oh, so they were only seeing active duty. Only so seeing. So everybody active was getting referred du- off base. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, okay. Everyone was getting referred off base and I was having a really tough time. It was was not until I was pregnant that it was like, oh, this is a priority. So getting pregnant actually ended up being like a medical priority for me to actually get an appointment. You know, when I shared with folks how my husband couldn't come with me to some of my appointments, everyone was just like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. However, I had done it before. And so for me, it didn't feel as terrible as it seemed to everyone else, um, just because I wasn't used to that anyway. He was actually able to make it to like the same appointments that he had beforehand. So that's where I really like looked at my experience the first time with, you know, him being gone and deployed, really kind of being helpful and being a strength. In a sense, I think sometimes our military life and cultures help help us in ways that we may not realize at the time a little bit later on. And so I think it helped me during that time. What made it challenging was having another child, though, right? because also my two-year-old was not allowed at appointments, which I found extremely difficult um, because my husband would then have to take off of work. In order for me to go to an appointment and so that made it a lot more challenging having somebody watch my two-year-old at the time in order just because i wasn't sure like will i be induced this time will i just be able to walk in what will what will happen because he could not come to the hospital that was like very like they let us know boldly um right that he would not be allowed, he could not be there. We had to be tested for COVID. If either one of us had it, then I would have to be there by myself. And so it was just all of those other layers that kind of came with the pandemic and having a baby and then not having a huge support network because with it being the pandemic, we really couldn't develop a strong connection with others. I lived in Atlanta before my husband and I got married. And luckily I had a coworker who lived in the area and she contacted me on social media and was just like, hey, if you need help while you're here, please just let me know. So she was set up to watch Remy for me. Um, She was a saving grace. She came over, her daughter and her played with him and all of those lovely things. And, um, that's so helpful. It was so helpful. Um, it just gave me the peace of mind of somebody will be able to watch him just in case, you know, maybe the baby came before my mom could get here.
0: Yeah, totally. And then how was your experience with going into labor and
1: how did all that unfold? This was a different kind of experience because I was like experiencing contractions at home and luckily my mom made it in time. And then at one point she looked at me and my husband and was like, I think you two should head to the hospital. Um, Because for us, the first time we just walked in the hospital, I wasn't dilated, anything like that. And we just walked in. So she was like, I think you've been having contractions all day. And I think you've kind of reached your point, you two should probably start making your way to the hospital. Now we also went to a civilian hospital where we lived was about 20 ish minutes from the hospital. So not the same two minute drive that I had before. Uh, so I'm happy she told us to leave when we did because that ride to the hospital, I was like, Oh yeah, we need to hurry up and get there. (laughs) Um, Ended up having to be like wear a mask, be tested for COVID prior to coming. Um, So just a really different experience. Uh, I also ended up having low platelets this time around. Um, I did have like borderline low iron with my first one. And this time I ended up having low platelets. So the concern was about my blood clotting. And so there were discussions around whether or not I would be able to get an epidural and things of that nature. So that was a very big thing for me just because I was hoping to get one. I was able to. Um, my midwife, who I saw, delivered my baby. I only pushed for 18 minutes versus three hours.
0: Much better. <laughs>
1: yeah. It was a huge difference. It also. I think was maybe an eight hour experience at the hospital, maybe even less than that. But like I said, I had been experienced contractions all throughout the day and was just walking around and, and trying to, um, labor as much as home at home. So I did have less hospital time. We ended up getting moved to a different part of the hospital and I feel like this hospital had experience with working with military folks because the base is so close, but it was, it was an interesting experience. So my son ended up being in the NICU. Our NICU nurses were amazing. They were like, they were the heroes. They, they were absolutely amazing during that time. He ended up having fluid in his lungs. And I cannot remember the technical name of what that is called, Um, but it caused him to be beet red. And he was uh, breathing at a very, very, very rapid pace, like really, 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 really fast, could not catch his breath. And they found out that he had fluid in his lungs. So that was a different experience for us as well, um, because it happened really quickly, because at first he was in the room with us. And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, we think we're going to have to take him into the NICU to be monitored. And it is good, I think, to highlight like I had a pretty big baby. I know sometimes folks will think like only babies that are like a little bit underweight or smaller. I had like an 8.5 pounder and he was in the NICU. Um, and he ended up being in there for about three days, four days. We weren't sure if we were going to have to leave and then have to come back. So that was a difference as well. I breastfed my first one until he was two years old. My second one at this point, I ended up breastfeeding him until he was two as well. However, our experience starting out was not easy. I had a lot of challenges in the hospital. He ended up getting some formula. I was trying to nurse him. I was having to pump. His latch wasn't well. I met with a lactation consultant multiple times just because I was like, I know that this is not supposed to feel like this. And then we ended up dealing with a deployment with this one as well.
0: And was that a surprise or had you known that that was coming up? That
1: one was more of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Once we finally got home, uh, we did all get to go home together. Our NICU nurses kind of fought for us to be able to stay a little bit longer just so that we could all go home together. About a month and a half after living life, that's when breastfeeding started to take a turn for the better. For us, it kind of became a family thing. So we were kind of getting our grounding, getting our footing and things of that nature. And I would say around the time of him being about two months is when we found out about the deployment that ended up happening when he was like three months. Wow, really fast. Mm -hmm. So about a month to prepare for that deployment, which is no time at all.
0: No, no time at all. (laughs) So What kind of support did you have access to, especially since it was during the pandemic? And how did the experience of having your spouse deploy so shortly after giving birth? How did that impact your overall postpartum experience?
1: So this go around, I ended up having a three month old, as well as a two and a half year old in a space where we hadn't been living that long. It was a pandemic, so I could not develop connection, relationships, support like I had had previously. So that made postpartum really difficult, really, really difficult. And I remember saying to myself, I was doing so well. Like, why would this happen? I was doing so, so well. Why would this happen to me? And I just remember thinking that and I felt like everything started to go downhill.
0: Mm-hmm. What kind of support did you seek out or or resources did you look for to
1: help you through that time? Um, surprise, surprise, the therapist believes in therapy. Um, so before that I did look into a therapist, even before we found out about my husband's deployment, just because I was like, Hey, I'm doing really well. And I want to keep doing well. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Hey, let me just try and um, get connected with the therapist. Unfortunately, after several consults, I didn't find someone that I felt like I gelled or meshed with. And at that point I was like, Hey, I'm doing well. So Let's not force it. Don't just try to get with somebody just for the sake of saying that you're with somebody. Now, looking at it, I wish I would have gotten with someone just because I didn't know what was to come. I did have, like I said, my one coworker who was in the area when my husband was leaving, she was like, Hey, I can definitely try to come like one to two Saturdays a month around my daughter and my work schedule and just be there. So each month she and I had like a date that were, that was set up. Um, if I needed her any other time and she was available, she was there. Um, so that was extremely helpful. I also had another girlfriend of mine who lived in Atlanta as much as she could. She was there. My mom tried to give weekend help here and there as well. Um, And December, I had a good bit of support, like, with weekend help coming in. And then when January, COVID, like, went up, it, like, spiked. And I remember folks were just a little nervous. It was like, I I can't come knowing that folks that had been around in my spaces, knowing that you have a little baby. And January was a tough month. I remember January and the beginning of February being a really tough month just because it was like round the clock with a new baby and then with a toddler. And also my toddler didn't understand what was going on. He didn't get why he could see dad on the phone, but could not see dad in person. I was also in the space of dealing with my own challenges while also trying to deal with a toddler who was dealing with his emotional challenges and then just also the emotional challenges of being a toddler, right? Because that's a whole thing, a toddler who has a new baby, a toddler who was being potty trained and a toddler whose dad ended up, you know, in his eyes being taken away from him. So I just remember being incredibly angry and Mm-hmm. that can be a sign of being depressed and mine showed up as a lot of anger i was i was mad i was mad because yeah i was like i was doing so well this baby is sleeping more which my other one didn't do a ton of and i was like this would happen
0: and so were you already in your, in your, um, counseling work, were you, were you already focusing on the perinatal mental health space or, or did that evolve sort of out of your own experience?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was already doing that work. Oh, great. Um, so after actually prior to having Remy, uh, my first, a lot of my clients that I had been working with were either Pregnant, postpartum, post-loss, or trying to conceive, maybe dealing with some infertility. So while I was working with those clients, I also ended up getting pregnant. So I said, you know what? I think I need a little bit more training <laughs> in this area. And then that was where I found Postpartum Support International. And I ended up getting trained with PSI. So I ended up like looking into the organization seeing what resources and things like that were available and then I ended up um becoming trained through PSI as well so that was kind of along the first more aligned with the first pregnancy mm-hmm. um and so I had all of this information knew all of these things and so When my second pregnancy came, I was just a big old ball of risk factors. So that's where I really feel like my stories highlight the truth behind risk factors and what risk factors can really do. You know, constant moving, (laughs) having more than one child, having a lack of an immediate support system, because I have a wonderful beautiful, great support system. However, it is a little bit different when your support system is not down the street. Yep. So it makes a huge difference. Then we kind of throw in like that grief and loss piece of I didn't expect to be doing this by myself. And then kind of like mourning that I thought my husband, my spouse was going to be here with me feeling lonely also dealing with the pandemic and still having to do the maneuvering of that, that being another risk factor. And so that's where I was like, with my story, especially with my second one, just really how risk factors can play a huge role in whether or not you end up having like a perinatal mental health complication, whether or not it's something that's diagnosable. Or if it's just something where you're like, I'm, I think I'm having a little bit harder of a time, right? Than I may have had if all of these things did not line up the way that they did. Right. And we even throw in there the season. Like it was holiday season where we were alone on top of just the, you know, the traditional holidays that we celebrated. I had my birthday. My son had his third birthday. Like there were just other experiences and the milestones that my husband wasn't there for that we didn't plan on or didn't know about. So those are the things where when folks say hey High risk populations are military populations. I'm like, yeah, we sure are mm-hmm. because you get a deployment or a TDY thrown in there or UPCS and you move away from everybody that you do. It can make a big difference. I thought about that a lot. I was like, man, if I was at office, this would have been a whole lot easier because I really had that military family right there down the street. Um, And not even just military family, just other friends, my coworkers, we had really established a community that we really didn't have the chance to establish our second time around. I live in a really small neighborhood and everyone is super friendly and my neighbors didn't know that my husband was heading out, but I didn't know my neighbors then, like how I know them now. Right. And so it would be a completely different experience. And we live off base this time. So that's also a difference as well. Um, We, you know, we do have some military folks in our neighborhood but the big part of our neighborhood is not.
0: Yeah, I well first of all, thank you so much for sharing all of that and and sharing your personal experience because the work that you're doing is so important and it's I think it's even more impactful to hear about how postpartum depression, even if it's undiagnosed anxiety or just like anger like you were talking about can manifest for anyone no matter how trained they are or how connected they are to the mental health space already. Um, There are so many things that military spouses and active duty service members and families go through that, like you said, put us in, in a higher risk category. So thank you so much for sharing your experience. And I'd love to hear a little bit more specifically about the work that you do with PSI. Um, you, You also mentioned specifically a group for folks of color. So I would love to hear about the difference between that work and the more general perinatal mental health work that you do. And what are some of the resources that PSI offers and that you offer through your work that our listeners might be
1: interested in hearing about? And this is one of my favorite questions just because I love PSI. So Postpartum Support International essentially is a global organization that's out here offering free resources um, to families. Um, We offer resources in English. We offer resources in Spanish. We offer over 30 plus free online virtual support groups, which is really, really helpful when you're moving around the world. So I have had um, folks in my military mom support group, which is available for active duty, Um, spouse, veteran, reserve, guard. I've had it all Um, on group. I've had folks that were stationed in Korea, Japan, Germany, all throughout the U.S. be able to attend group. Um, So it really is a wonderful space and it's a free resource as well. Um, But there are over 30 There just happens to be a military mom support group as well. Uh, There are support groups that are out there as well for dads and for parents and planning to have your baby and loss and adoptive. And then also another thing that I think is really helpful, especially for us within the military community, is the PSI helpline. So the helpline actually gets you connected To somebody that's in your area, which for a lot of us, we end up moving to places that we're not from. And so if we can get connected to someone who is familiar with the resources in our area, say I'm like, yeah, the virtual support group was great, but I really want to connect with somebody in person because I'm not from this area. And I want that kind of immediate support or Hey, I really want to get connected with a lactation consultant, or I'm going to have a baby, I want to know a doula that's available in my area.
0: Yeah, I love that. And so how did your lived experience influence the role you took on at PSI? And how has your role with the organization evolved over time?
1: So when I started with PSI, I came in as a support group leader and still do lead support groups. And I always tell folks, I'm like, you can go to one or you can go to like 30 a week. It's really up to how much support you want. Uh, But the lovely thing is after having both of my boys and my experiences, one of the things that I did within my practice is I started developing workshops specifically on supporting military families during pregnancy and postpartum just because with my first i said hey patients you know what even you as a therapist had challenges you struggled so if you are already kind of in the know on this information and you haven't really heard people talking about it you had to dig and dive for it um I took that along with the information that I heard from my clients of how come no one told me? Why didn't anybody tell me that this could be a thing? And that's what made me kind of dive in head first and focus on perinatal mental health within my own practice. And then even after having the specialized training and things of that nature, having the second baby and then seeing knowledge definitely helps us. Education helps us. However, it doesn't make us exempt from experiencing challenges as well. So seeing that, I was just like, you need to develop something so that folks can realize, hey, if I do know someone who is affiliated with the military, what can I do to assist? What can I do to help? Maybe I get them connected to resources, or how can I just have an understanding of what they're going through? Or how can I support my client who might be affiliated with the military in a particular way? And so through my private practice, I started offering workshops um, on supporting military families. And I presented at one of PSI's conferences on the topic. Um, So that was wonderful. That was beautiful. And while I was at the conference, um, I was already a part of an affiliate program with PSI, which is the Perinatal Mental Health Alliance for People of Color. I was just a provider that was already a member affiliated. I was a PSI member. And while I was at the conference, they ended up having a meetup and kind of saying, hey, Now, um, what we call it for short is the Alliance, the Alliance is now an official program underneath PSI, it's no longer kind of its own entity, it is now under. And we're looking for additional staff, we're looking for somebody to kind of maintain and do our social media. Um, With my private practice and my brand, well, mama. I started posting on social media and developed a blog. So some of my colleagues immediately looked at me and said, you need that job. They were like, that's everything that you share and talk about. So that was kind of the start of me officially becoming a staff member um, as well. Now, the lovely thing about the Alliance, like I said, I was a member beforehand. Um, The organization was started by three perinatal mental health therapists. Um, of color. And they went to a conference and they were like, you know what, it's not that many of us in here. Not that many of us that look like us um, in the room. So let's start an organization. And so what the Alliance does is it's bridging the gap in perinatal mental health care for communities of color. And by offering training, education, and scholarships to the community as well as providers Um, because the more providers of color that we can have in this space and have trained in perinatal mental health also can assist in reaching communities of color as well Um, and just making sure that there's access to equitable you know, healthcare and things of that nature. So I get to do all of the lovely things that I was doing with my blog. Now for the Alliance, I get to learn about all of the wonderful providers globally in this space. I get to work with a beautiful team of English and Spanish speaking folks. We have all of our materials translated into Spanish, so it expands that reach. And I really look at the work that we do with the Alliance and PSI is giving a voice to the voiceless and just also letting people know, like, we see you, we see what you're going through. And that's why I think it's so important to share stories because there's so many folks that I'll end up meeting um, just because you and I both know that around in our military communities too, there's still that mental health stigma. Yeah, um, it's huge. And so I think it is important to say, hey, I've been military affiliated as you know, a kid and spouse. And I understand the stigma that's around it. I'm also a therapist. And I can understand stigma around that too. But I struggled. I had a difficult time. But with support, support can really save lives out there. Mm-hmm. Um because I've also seen just through past work and with like crisis work and things of that nature of how bad it can really get. Right. Um, So I love that I can be on like the education and the prevention side of things, because that is like support truly, truly, truly does save lives for people. And to be a part of communities that sometimes lack support um, because it's out of our control. Right. it's really good to know that, hey, I can get connected to some resources that are out there where I can kind of fill maybe where that void was and get some of that additional support and get connected to people that they're, they're coming to group because they're having challenges as well. Right. So
0: if folks are listening to this and hearing about these resources for the first time, where can they go to
1: find the Alliance and PSI? One of the best places to go is on our site, www.postpartum.net. Our helpline is 1-800-944-4773. The Alliance, our information is on the website as well. Um, It'll just say Perinatal Mental Health Alliance for People of Color. We offer monthly web series in English and Spanish if you just want to learn about uh, providers and serving communities of color. We have newsletters. There are parent newsletters as well. All of that jazz um, that you can get connected with. Tons and tons of information and resources um, that you can also have for yourself or share with someone else if needed. Perfect. And then as far as your
0: experience with the military, what's something that you think the military offers, resources that the military offers that are supportive for families going through this phase of life? And then what's an area where you think that um, they could do a little bit better to support uh, families who are having kids and maybe their spouses are deployed, or maybe they're active duty and they just had a child and what are some things that you think they're doing well and where's some areas for improvement?
1: Yeah, um, I really enjoy my nurse that came out with my first pregnancy. Oh gosh, I believe it was family advocacy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to get that resource with the second just because of pandemic reasons, right. of not being able to come out to the home. But I... It was extremely helpful i learned a lot i had someone who was coming checked on me checked on the baby Um, also the new tricare demonstration um, with doula and lactation support i think that that is kind of new and innovative i do think that there are some kinks and things that have to be worked out with that but i think it, it is a great start in the right direction Some things I do think are installation specific. So I felt like Offit had really good education and support prior to. And then when I was at my other base, unfortunately, I I didn't feel as if there as far as like breastfeeding classes and things of that nature. However, I'm trying to take into consideration that it was a pandemic also. Um, But that was the big area where I was like this. We have to do better. We have to do better with supporting our families, especially if they're being sent off the installation to get medical care. I think that there needs to be kind of more support if they are not on base. Right. Um, But I do think that that could also help with some of us that are listening, um, that if we know that we're in those places of leadership and. If somebody's commander is on there or if there is a spouse that's a key spouse or that is a part of one of the, clu- the spouse's clubs or things of that nature that has some of that influence and notices that maybe where they are might be lacking in that area. It's like, hey, what can we do to pull those folks in, especially in a time where it's so easy to be disconnected? or to be falsely connected. Cause sometimes I think we think our electronics connect us more than they really do. But to just kind of foster that old school mentality of like, I just think about my mom and I don't feel like we have that, but I think if we could have some of those areas where connection is built in, in those spaces, then that could be really helpful with supporting folks.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Patience. It was awesome to have you here. And um, before we go, I'd love to hear some final thoughts just on one takeaway that you'd love folks to leave our conversation today with um, after hearing your stories.
1: We're not exempt. No one is exempt from experiencing challenges. However, Even though those challenges may happen and they can happen, um, I am standing here today definitely feeling like a survivor, not as somebody that was conquered by what happened. It was challenging and it's not something that I want to have happen again. However, I, I can say that there is some light out of that darkness that happens for you. Um, So if you do feel like you are in that space, and that's something that you're going through, um, I see you.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for being here and for sharing all about your work. And the one thing I didn't ask was um, your blog uh, address. So I'd love for you to share that so that we can include that in the show notes as well.
1: I sure will. I sure will. So my blog is Wo Mama, y'all, and you can get connected with me at www.wo—that is W-H-O-A, mamas with an S, dot com. I have a monthly newsletter that goes out, and then I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at Wo Mama underscore blog, and then I'm also on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Patience. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Military Birth Talk podcast. Join us again next week for another birth story, and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. To follow along on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Military Birth Talk. To learn more about the Military Birth Resource Network and Postpartum Coalition, Please visit mbrnpc.org or find us on Facebook. See you next week.